Hey guys, and welcome to the Money Podcast. You know, my wife Sarah and I look at things a bit differently, not all the time, but sometimes. For example, she'll see something cool and buy it. I'll watch her to determine what's cool, and then I'll buy the stock of the company that makes it. And you know, nearly 20 years ago when Apple revolutionized portable music, I bought Sarah an iPod. She loved it, as did pretty much everybody else in the world. I didn't initially buy one for myself because I thought they were too expensive. They were like 500 bucks. Anyway, ditto with the iPhone. Didn't buy one at first. My wife really wanted one, though. You know what I did do, though? I bought Apple stock in 2001. That was easily the best investment I've made in my 40-plus years of buying stocks. Then there's Facebook. Sarah was all over it long before I even realized what social media was even about. Even now, I'm not that big on social media. But but when I realized she and everybody else I've ever met were on Facebook, I bought some stock. That was back in 2016. Now, even though I got in relatively late, I'm still up 250% in five years. Now, these are examples of a classic investment technique, looking around to see what people are excited about and then investing in it. Of course, you don't invest just on that basis alone, but it's not the only important factor you look at, but it's been a good starting point for me over the years. And it's just one of many techniques that you can use to find market winners. And that's what this week's Money Podcast is all about. We're going to go over the art and the science of picking stocks step by step. Hopefully, you're going to learn something that's going to make you richer, and I promise not to make you bored in the process. I'm your host, Stacey Johnson. I'm here with my co-host, Miranda Marquette. Hey, Miranda. Hey, Stacey. Um, he may promise not to make you bored, but I can't make the same guarantee. You're never boring. <laughs> never boring. And we've also got our producer and sometimes contributor with us today, Aaron Freeman. Hey, Aaron. I'm better at picking winners out of my nose than I am the stock market. <laughs> that, that was crude, but... But well said. And so at the end of today's podcast, though, Aaron, you will be an expert, as will everybody else who's listening to this, at picking out stocks. Because we're going to get to it. Uh, we're going to do it step by step. And there are not that many steps. There's only four. So you're going to be able to do this yourself. Before we get to it, though, guys, let's do our usual disclaimer. Should you hear about investments on this podcast, that does not mean they are recommendations. You can never invest based solely on our advice because we don't know your personal situation. You got to form your own opinions. You got to make your own decisions. And also, while I'm at it, I'll add that uh, we just started putting up my stock portfolio uh, in our show notes. So if you want to see what the, every single stock that I own, no exceptions, you can go to our show notes. You can click on. Uh, I think it just says click here to see Stacy's stocks, and you'll know what you'll know what I own. Okay, so let's get to the topic at hand. The topic today is how to pick stocks, how to pick winning stocks, not just stocks. And now I assume that you use a dartboard. Is that is that right, Miranda? Is that what you do to pick stocks? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I, I use a dartboard. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, so for, for, my, for my experiments, right, I look at different things. Um, but for the most part, because I'm an indexer, uh, mostly what I'm looking for is uh, stuff that I've been investing in for 10 years because I've been indexing for that long. Well, longer than that, actually. Gosh, I am old. Not as old you're, as you, Stacey, but I'm old. No, no one's as old as me. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, I think what it comes down to is like looking for, okay, what, what's going to help you reach your goals. And for me, like long-term wealth, it means broad-based index funds. So that's kind of where I land. But if I am going to look for an individual stock, then it starts to get a little bit different, right? For me, uh, sometimes I look into something where somebody's like, hey, this is interesting. Like, for instance, Aaron said that he thought something was interesting a few months ago. I have been investing in it. Uh, I bought a few shares. And let's see how it's doing. 
Let's look find out. out. Now. Let's find out whether Aaron's stock tip was helpful. While it you're, was. While you're looking that up. It's up today. Oh, what, what was it? What what company? ChargePoint. So ChargePoint oh, yeah, Charge was. Point. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah. So oh no, actually no. Today it's up, but my average total return on this one is minus seventy five dollars. Oh, so you're, never you're mind. You're digressing here. Okay. <laughs> Let's get back to picking. In fact, though, you brought up something really important, Miranda, and right. that is. Should you buy stocks versus should you buy index funds? Uh, and the answer is yes. You should buy index <laughs> funds and you should buy stocks. I, I used to say only buy index funds, don't buy stocks. It's hard to beat the averages. Uh, just own the stock market and don't worry about it. I do not say that anymore because I've had really good success at buying individual shares. Here's what I say now, though. I say put the lion's share of your long-term savings that's going to go into the stock market in index funds. That way, you're going to get the uh, market return. And, and the stock market is a great place to be invested for part of your savings for the long term. However, I also say take 10% of those long-term savings and pick out a stock or two. Because I've made so much money in stocks, in individual stocks, that I could never have made in an index fund. And you can't get a hit from the dugout, folks. I, as far as I'm concerned, if you've got the if you've got the intellectual curiosity about it, if you if you're willing to go about doing a little work, then I think you should always try to pick a stock or two on the side. If you can, if you feel like it, you know I, I really enjoy doing it. If you don't, uh, and you'll see the steps. If you can't go through these steps, then you shouldn't do it. Now, speaking of which, let me go ahead and tell you what the steps are, and then we'll go through them one by one. And you guys can jump in and agree or disagree or whatever you want to do. Um, here's step one: decide what it is you're looking for. Step two, come up with ideas. Step three, evaluate the company. And step four, manage your risk. Now let's go over these things one at a time. Step one, what are you looking for? Well, that means essentially, are you trying to double your money overnight? Are you trying to get a good <laughs> grower that's, that's going to be good for you over the long term? Are you trying to be in the right place at the right time in terms of the, of the economy? Are you trying to get a dividend? Uh, returns. You're trying to earn interest on your money. But what is it that you're really trying to accomplish and how much risk are you willing to take? Uh, do you guys agree with that? I mean, you have, to, you have to have a starting point of what it is you're trying to do. Yeah, I think so. And I think that goes back to what uh, one of our friends of the show, Joe Salcihai from Stacking Benjamins has said in the past, begin with the end in mind. So like, what is your end result that you're looking for? So for me, a lot of my indexing as well, I'm looking for uh, long-term Right. I'm looking for long term wealth growth over time so that I can uh, live off of the stuff labor later. So so the indexing works really well for that. Uh, if you're trying to, you know, you want some income and you're trying to build up an income portfolio, then you might be looking at like, OK, let's look at some dividend stocks. If you're trying to make money very quickly, then you want something that's going to grow fast and something that you can uh, turn in fast. So I, it really does depend on like, OK, what what are my goals? What am I trying to accomplish here? Yeah, what, what do you think, Aaron? Now, Aaron's more of a real estate investor than a stock investor, but you do have a few stocks. What, what is your do you, do you start there, Aaron? Do you say, here's what I'm trying to accomplish with this money? Well, I don't really have any set goals with uh, what I've got invested. I'm more or less just going, ah, how does this all work and everything like that. And guys, I've been doing that for a while because, yes, I, I kind of set more money aside for real estate than, than the stock thing. But just in playing around with it, I, I've noticed a few things. Like you said, you do, do ETFs and you do it. It seems like if you do an individual company, would you say that 
uh, investing in things where it's more of a consumable is kind of like a, a bigger uh, a bigger hit. It seems like you invest in Apple, Netflix, Facebook, all these things seem to be high consumables that like uh, massive amounts of people uh, are using these things. And it seems to have done better than, say, like uh, an energy stock or anything like that. Is that true? Well, that is true. But I, I invested different things at different times for different reasons. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> I'm looking at my stock portfolio right now, the same one you could look at if you clicked on it on our um, on our show notes. But I, what I did was I remember back in 2009, we were at the depths of the recession. Stock market was horrible, um, literally half, less than half of what it is now. Uh, as a fact, I think it was around 9,600, if I'm not mistaken, and now it's 35,000. So it's tripled. Anyway, almost quadrupled. Okay, so back then in 2009, I was 50-something um, years old, 55-ish, can't remember. But I was thinking to myself at that time, I thought, I'm going to buy some stocks that I think will go up sometime between now and the time I die. In other words, I wasn't trying to pick the bottom of the market. I did actually get pretty close to the bottom of the market, but that was luck, not skill. But I was thinking, what kind of stocks do I want to own when I'm 66 or 67, whatever it is I'm going to retire, which I am now. Uh, but anyway, my point was, and let me, let me, tell you, let me show you the stocks I bought because i got it right here in front of me. Okay, I bought ConocoPhillips. Uh, that's one of the largest integrated oil companies in the world. I bought that because it paid a good dividend. And what I was going to do now is reinvest the dividend and buy more stock. So I didn't need the dividend then, but I was going to buy more stock with that reinvested dividend. So when I retired, which should have been about now, um, I would have a whole, I would have a nice income from that. So that was my goal to buy something that was going to go up over time and whose income was going to go up over time. Now I bought that stock at $27.20 in 2009. Now it's worth $75. So I about tripled my money on it and it's got a good dividend. Okay. I also bought Phillips 66. Same reason. Uh, what else did I buy back then? Oh, I bought, um, here it is, Citigroup. I bought um, Huntington Bank shares, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo. I bought all these stocks for the same reason, long-term growth, so that by the time I retired, I'd be getting a good dividend because these are all dividend-paying stocks. Okay, so I wasn't trying to double my money overnight. What I was trying, I had a goal, and that goal was to buy something for my retirement, and I felt really confident because I was pretty sure these giant companies were not going to go to zero, even though the market looked horrible at the time. So I didn't think they were going to go bankrupt. And I figured that before I died, at least they'd come back to where they were if they did go down. And of course, what's happened in, in real life is that they've done very well. I, I bought Wells Fargo for 37 bucks. It's now $169. I'm up about 400% on it, 350%. And I've got a good dividend. So there's an example. Of, that's what I was looking for. Okay. Now, when I bought Apple, uh, what I was looking for was I just saw everybody, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I said, you know, this is a stock that everyone's, everyone's using this. This company has to be profitable. So I was looking for growth there. Not overnight, though. Uh, one of the things I'm never looking for is to double my, my money overnight. I think it's a fool's game. I think it's gambling. And, I, and I'm not going to do that. I, I'm not smart enough. Uh, so I'm not doing that. But know what your goal is. At least in some vague sense. And that's the first step.
Yeah, I think that's a really good good point. And I, I think once you know what that goal is, then it makes it easier to move on to step two, uh, which is come up with ideas. So, you know, coming up with those ideas, figuring out those companies you understand. So if you know what you're looking for, then it's much easier to like come up with a thesis and figure out, okay, what companies are going to help me reach my goals and what's going on out there. Yes. And and Aaron, you know, you said earlier, uh, a few months back, maybe more than that, even when we started doing this podcast, you had a thesis. You may have call, you may not have called it a thesis, but you had one, and that thesis was that I heard you say, "I want to know. I, I want to be investing in something today that's going to be the technology of the future." Right? You were interested. Yes. In that sort of thing. Which which I was going to bring that point back up. Um, like you talked about, like oh, I noticed people using iPods and stuff like that back in the day. I remember that era too. And back then Apple wasn't was was sort of coming back into the world, but they were, you know, trying to invent some cool crap. But there were a lot of other companies out there that are that are right behind them in the wings. Sony was inventing stuff. Uh Nokia was inventing stuff. Motorola was inventing stuff. And at that time, you know, you didn't know who was going to be the winner. You happened to lay down some cash on Apple and it worked out for you. Um but you could easily say that's happening even today. And I think we've said that on this, pod, on this podcast where it's like, you don't know. I mean, you could invest in new technology, but you don't know if it's going to be supplanted by something else. Um, so obviously you you bought a little bit of Apple and then you kept buying it over time and, and, they, and the company grew. Uh, partly smart, partly luck, right? Definitely. Absolutely true. Um, so yeah, I kind of am trying to do the same thing now. I, I, unfortunately, these companies don't exist right now. But I look at right now. I, I think green energy, well, not green, but just the 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 idea of the future being green. I think is going to become more and more apparent as the as time goes on. And I think green jobs, green inventions, and all that kind of stuff is green energy, green, green energy. All of it's going to uh, come to the light. So with that, I think people should look out for certain things. Like uh, one of the things I was looking at was mycelium products, which right now are all kind of owned by private companies. None of them have become IPOs or anything. Um, but I'm keeping watch of them because we have a lot of plastic in this environment and we're learning that it's really destructive and we want to get rid of it. And there are a lot of technologies out there, green technologies that are probably going to push away the petroleum products and, and, and change our change way of thinking. And so I want to be there when that stuff happens, because those are very widely used things by many, many people across many industries. So um, I'm keeping an eye out for that. And that's my thesis. Yeah, on those and I think that's great. You identified a thesis. And, and, and if you can imagine, you know, there's a funnel. And what you're starting with is every stock in the world. And I, I don't remember, I, I used to say there were 7,000. I don't know how many there are now. But anyway, there's a lot of stocks out there. So what, So your job is to narrow that group down, because you can't look at every one of them. Right. So you've got it. So you start with a thesis and you say, OK, the stocks I'm interested in are stocks that are green. They're green energy or they're somehow going to, you know, reduce methane or, or, or make a better packaging that doesn't end up in the Pacific Ocean or blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, then, and then you that narrows it down. Right. You know, and it's tough because just like your iPod scenario. Um, that's the same with this green energy. There's so many uh, industries out there, so many companies, and you have no idea who's going to be the winner. You right. know, it's changing all the time. So now, okay, so what are we going to do? Literally, Aaron, what are you going to do to narrow that funnel? You started off with every stock in the world. Now you went to every stock that has something to do with making the world green. Now what are you going to do to further narrow that, that funnel? 
Well, I would guess you could probably try to find an ETF that's managing that for you at the get-go, just so you can kind of get into it. And then as things come to light, I guess, then you could start uh, investing in individual companies. Yeah, I think that's true. You could do that. And, and now one of the things you could do, we're going we're gonna to hit this, this thesis again, but you, looking at a, at a closed-in fund is a great idea. Well, let's say, okay, like, what's her name? Kathy, so uh, ARK Investing? Kathy Wood? Yep, she's name? one of them, yep. Yeah. Fidelity's yeah. got some, yeah, Fidelity's so, getting okay, into it, so too. She's probably got uh, an ETF on green energy. I don't know that she does, but I, I bet you she does. And so you could, you know, you can see the stocks that are in any ETF or any mutual fund. They have to publish them. So you can see their major holdings. So you could go to any any mutual fund, you could go to Vanguard, you could go to, you know, the ARK investing thing, you could go to anywhere you want, and you can see the top one. So here's somebody who's getting paid millions of dollars as a stock picker. And these are their 10 favorite stocks in that arena. Well, isn't that a great place to start your own uh, stock search? Uh, another thing too, look around and see what's happening. Like I just told you at the beginning of this podcast. I bought Apple because because I saw everybody carrying iPods. I got I bought Facebook because my wife, I mean, literally didn't even know if I was in the room. She was on Facebook so much. I mean, it just killed me. Uh, <laughs> so I figured if it was going to piss me off, I might as well make some money off of it. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> and, and you know, see what other people are doing, and then pay attention. I mean, read stuff. You know, I mean, it's really that simple. I don't know where Kim Kardashian had lunch, but I watch. You know, I, I watch CNBC every day. I watch shows like uh, Fast Money, Mad Money. I, I watch Bloomberg. Uh, and, and this is interesting to me. You know, it's not a chore. It's not homework. Uh, like while you're watching, you know, the Housewives of Atlanta, I'm watching stuff like that, you know, and, and to me, it's interesting. So looking around, seeing what's happening, reading things, watching things, listening to things like this podcast, talking to your friends, you know. I mean, that, that's the way you go about finding ideas. And that's, where, that's what I've always done. You guys agree, disagree, add, add anything to that? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like uh, understanding, I mean, Warren Buffett always said, you know, if, if, if you don't understand it or if you can't explain it uh, to somebody who doesn't know about it, then you don't understand enough, it enough to invest in it. So I think that's an interesting rule of thumb to kind of consider. Awesome. Oh, by the way, that was, that was step two. We're going to talk about step three, evaluating companies that you find, and step four, managing your risk. But first, we've got to manage our income and do a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Do not move. Okay, so here we are. We've talked about you know, deciding what kind of investor you are, what you're looking for in a stock investment. And, uh, and the second step, coming up with ideas, getting companies you understand, which, by the way, you just mentioned, uh, Miranda, which I think is an awesome idea, uh, awesome thing to say, too. You have to understand the company you're investing in. If you don't, then you're probably, you're, you could easily make a mistake. Uh, so do understand. The, and, you know, a lot of the stuff I've done in the past is stuff that I do understand, at least I kind of understand by looking at a product. But I've often seen, like, doctors will uh, invest in biotech stuff, you know. In other words, it's, a, it's an industry that you understand, real estate, you know, whatever it is. You're an expert at something because you make a living. Uh, and so finding that, you know, being in that area can help you too. Okay, let's talk about step three, evaluating a company. What do you do? Okay, you found a company, Aaron or Miranda, but you, you can't just buy it gratuitously. You have to know that it's going to be okay. I mean, cause if, what if, just because it has a good product doesn't mean it can't go out of business. So what kind of stuff are you going to look at to see if the company's any good? 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So you got to start by looking at, you know, you, you like to talk about the uh, P.E. ratio, right? Your price to earnings ratio, you know, are the earnings on the rise? Where does the company like where is its stock price relative to its earnings and how does it compare within its industry? So you kind of want to look at that and, and kind of figure out, OK, and now let's look at its current versus historic P.E., see what's going on. So I think that price earnings ratio, that's one of the things that you look at the most, right? Right, Stacey? Well, I do. I, I do. I, you know, to be honest with you, I'm going to make a confession here. I, I, I don't do a whole bunch of, of detailed analysis, financial analysis on companies. I really don't. And that may make me an idiot because certainly anything you read, like how to buy stocks, will tell you that you've got to start looking at a whole bunch of financial ratios. I don't, I'm not saying I never look at them at all. By the way, let's be clear on what a price earnings ratio is because we could have novice people listening. It's simply the price of the stock divided by its earnings per share. If a, if a stock is at $10 and it's earning a dollar a share, this P.E. ratio is 10. Now, relative P.E. ratios, what Miranda was just talking about was, historically, this stock is traded at a 10 P.E., but now it's at a 20 P.E. Now, that means it's trading at 20 times its earnings. Obviously, that's that's a stock that's extended. It's trading. It, you're paying more for its earnings than you would have traditionally. So right now, for example, off the top of my head, this may not be accurate, Apple's trading at about 30 times earnings. Now, traditionally, Apple's traded at about 23 times earnings. So it's historically expensive right now in, re in relation to its earnings. Now, that gives me a warning. There could be reasons for that, though. I mean, and in fact, as we speak, there are reasons for that because interest rates are so low that well, I'm not going to get into the, uh, the math of this, but uh, it's a present value of future earnings, and, and the lower the interest rates are, the higher the price earnings ratios will be. So in this environment, this overall environment, it may not be that weird for Apple to be trading at 30 times earnings, but it's something I want to pay attention to. And, and, as, and actually, as I mentioned in one of our prior podcasts too, right now, the whole stock market is trading at historically astronomical uh, prices relative to its earnings as a whole. And that's kind of a warning sign because if markets are, if they're really expensive, then they might be about to come down. So one wants to keep an eye on stuff like that with the market as a whole and with individual companies that you may be interested in. So looking at the price earnings ratio is something that you can do. There's also debt to equity, uh, which, which is really simple. I mean, it's basically what it means is taking the debt of a company and divide it by, dividing it by its equity, which you can do by looking at a balance sheet. This, again, though, is probably not the type of thing I'm really going to advise people to get into so much, and it's not something I get into that much. And I'm a CPA. What I'm really looking for is a company that has a moat. In other words, it's the best in its industry. Uh, I want a company that's dominating an industry, and I want it to be in an industry that is screaming. Example, look at the stuff I own. I own Amazon. I own Apple. I own Google. I own Facebook. These are companies that nobody can compete with. They own their industry. Google has 90% of the search market in the world. Well, actually, I should say in the non-China world. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you know what I'm saying, though? These companies have a big moat. It's going to take a lot of – how are you going to overcome Apple uh, when it comes to smartphones? How are you going to overcome Amazon when it comes to either retail or their web services? It's, it's, it's really difficult. And buying a stock like that in, in an area of the economy that's growing is a pretty sure sign of success. Now, you're going to have setbacks, obviously. I'll get into that in a second with risk management. But that's a pretty, pretty clear way to buy stocks, I think, and, and being holding on to them for long periods of time. 
So I'm more interested in that, unless a country, unless a company is really about, you know, precarious, you know, in a precarious <laughs> right. financial position, then I'm worried about that. But, you know, the companies I just mentioned, eh, they're not going to go bankrupt, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, to look at like, okay, well, let's also look at like the leadership. How do you trust the management? Do you feel like there's going to be problems there in the future? So I think that's something to look at as well as, um, you know, what, because you talk about are they a leader in the field, but also you've got to look at the you know, the management and everything, right? Like Apple took kind of a hit after Steve Jobs died because, you know, there's so much of it was caught up. I mean, now it's Apple's recovering fine and Tim Cook is fine, but he's just not as charismatic. So I think um, there's that to look at as well, but also to look at in terms of like, um, you know, if, if you want to invest in something that fits with your values, right? Well, do you want to invest in a company whose management has a history um, of, you know, discrimination? Or do you want to invest in a company, you know, so, so I mean, you kind of have to think about that stuff, too, depending on going back to like, what are your goals? What is your thesis? Yeah, you're right. And that's a really good point, too. And it's one that I don't consider as often as I should. Uh, I, I notice I watch uh, Jim Cramer, Mad Money, not not religiously, but I usually watch the first 15 minutes of it anyway. And he, but he brings this up a lot. He'll say, I know this CEO. He's awesome. He's smart. You know, and that's important because you could be you, know, you could have a CEO that doesn't know what they're doing, but has a great product. They can run that company in the ground or you could have somebody, a company that's struggling and you put a brilliant CEO in there. And next thing you know, and you see this happen. CEOs go from company to company. Right. They get hired away. So that's another thing you could do. How do you how do you determine whether CEO is any good? Put it in Google. You know, put the guy's name in there and say, you know, is so and so smart? I mean, you could really do this. You know, and, and you know, get an idea of that. Uh, so a lot of this stuff, and I want to be real clear on how I do all this stuff because it is really easy. Uh, you know, what I said, like, how do you find out the PE? Well, you can go to any number of sites: Yahoo Finance, CNBC, Market Watch, blah blah blah, MSN. There's a, and, and all you have to do is put in the symbol of the stock. And if you don't know that, you can Google it. And then you, and it'll show you selected statistics. And one of those will be the price earnings ratio. Uh, it'll also show you where the stock has been. Is it historically expensive? You know, things like that. So you don't have to be a mathematician to, to get this stuff. When, you know, when I started the business in 1980, <laughs> there was none of this. You know, there was no internet. Uh, so it was way more difficult. Now, you can find out so much information on everything from a company's price earnings ratio to its CEO in seconds. So you have to be really a, easy to you, do. Don't you have to be a little bit careful when you have the uh, CEOs and these hedge funds guys being interviewed on TV? I mean, these guys have agendas. Absolutely. Um, yes. So, I mean, you got, you got to read between the lines a little bit. and. Yeah, you know, you, you heard me just say that I watched uh, Mad Money for the first 15 minutes. Because I want to know what Kramer thinks, but a lot of what he, what is said on Mad Money is he brings CEOs in there to interview them. And if I own the stock, I might listen to that. But generally speaking, I'm not going to because you know what? That guy's a salesperson. He's selling right. his company. And, and, then he, and he's not going to say anything negative on Mad Money with millions of investors listening. So, you know, what, what people like that, if, you, if they've got an ax to grind, I'm not that interested. I'd rather hear what third parties say about them. Uh, and third parties say about a company, not what a company says about itself. Let's talk about risk management real quick. That's the fourth step. Several different types of risk in stocks. One is company risk. You can manage company risk by picking the right company, right? I mean, you can study it and you can say, well, I know this company is going to do well. I know it's going to sell more widgets, whatever. 
And so I know this company is good. But there's also risks that you can't control. One of those is market risk. You can feel like a genius these days because a rising tides float all boats. When the market's doing really well, even crummy stocks are going up. And yet, so all of a sudden you think, oh, my stocks are going up. I must know what I'm doing. No, you may not. And the same thing happens in reverse. When the market, if the market falls 50%, Apple's going to fall. I promise you, as will everything else. Uh, so, you know, you've got market risk. You can't control that. You've got diversification risk. If you put all your eggs in one basket, best you watch that basket. Because if you can't afford to have a whole bunch of different types of stocks, then that's a, that's a big risk. Because, you know, one, one industry can be in trouble when other ones may not be. So that's why it's good to be diversified. And then you've got the unknowable risk. Who knew? I bought Baidu, which is the Chinese Google, the biggest search engine in China. I didn't know the Chinese government was going to start cracking down on their technology sector. They didn't give me any warning. They just did it. And my stock went down, you know, from 200 to 175 bucks a share. And did you guys, did you guys see COVID coming? Nope. <laughs> There's unknowable risk out there. So you can control your company risk. You can have some idea of market risk. You can diversify so you're not too concentrated in one stock. But you always keep in mind that there's a knowable risk out there. And nobody, there, there's no algorithm that's going to account for it. So you've so you got to be a little careful. If you cannot diversify, use an ETF. Right? In other words, an ETF is what, Miranda? Explain. Uh, that's an exchange traded fund. So it's it's kind of like a hybrid between an index fund and a stock, right? So an index fund is when you own a piece of everything in that fund. And there's a whole situation where you can't trade it on the exchange, and everything gets settled out once a day. Well, with an exchange traded fund, um, you do have exposure. So you don't own all of the underlying um, assets. But you've got something that's very similar to that in which you have like it it's basically like accessing a big fund, but you can trade it like a stock on the exchange, which means you can trade it throughout the day um, on the market, uh, immediate execution of market orders. So that's really nice um, because it, an ETF is easy to uh, purchase and uh, to hold on to. And it, it just and, and and also, if you are dealing with, you know, a place that's like doesn't charge you a commission for trading – well, then an ETF can be a nice choice because you're still going to have to pay X. Anyway, it's a whole thing. But yes, an ETF is basically like a collection of, of investments you can do. So I actually have index ETFs that basically offer me uh, the chance to base my performance on the S&P 500. And so that's nice because I have an ETF that um, is basing its performance on the 500 large you know, caps, 500 large cap stocks in the US market. And so you can be reasonably sure that that's going to help you out in terms of instant diversity, because you've got everything. Well, not everything, but you've got you've got a lot. And, and it can also kind of help you tie that to market performance, so that you don't have to worry about one company tanking. Well done. So that's one thing you could do. If you, if you can't diversify in Rome, then diversify. And nowadays, you could buy stocks, you know, for a dollar each, I guess. So I guess you could diversify yourself anyway. But, uh, if you, but if you don't feel like you want to diversify or you can't, then use an ETF to have that diversify for you. Um, be aware of the market cycle. That's another note I made for myself. Uh, be aware that right now, like I mentioned a minute ago, we're, we're in, the market's really high historically. It's trading very, very high. Uh, we, we could be – because the market always goes in cycles. 
hence it being called cyclical. <laughs> so there are sometimes when manufacturing stocks are doing really well, and there are sometimes when technology stocks are doing really well, and there are sometimes when the whole economy is going to go in the toilet. And that's going to happen, you know, whether you like it or not. So be aware of where you are in a market cycle, if you can, you know, to the best of your ability. Uh, buying a little bit at a time makes sense. I know that's, that's Miranda's strategy, right, Miranda? How, how would you uh, suggest to uh, how to analyze the headlines that you're coming across day in and day out? You know, you, like nowadays, we're seeing a lot of flip-flop head, headlines. I mean, we're seeing like, you know, investors are poised to buy stocks. That's good for the market. And then you get another headline where, you know, the U.S. has dipped into recession as, as worried consumers flash warnings, you know, to economists. So it's uh, the headlines are just as crazy as that's uh, the a great question up and, down. Darren, and you know and there the, you know when that goes away never now sometimes it's more confusing than other times but you know that you ever heard the expression that's what makes it a market every time you're buying a stock somebody else is selling it <laughs> so i mean it's in other words there's somebody who's on the other side of the table from you 100 percent of the time in the stock market there's a headline that's going to say you know money manager x says buy now with both feet and the same and the same uh, website will be Money Manager Y says, run for the hills. It's uh, The party is almost over. And you just have to make up your own mind. You know, you, If you read enough of this stuff, you might find somebody that you really admire uh, who, who you think makes good predictions you know, and then give them more weight. But you, you, know, you'll, you can only do that if you start following this stuff a lot. Like I mentioned, I mentioned on our last podcast, Robert Prechter, who's a Yale uh, economist. Uh, and I think he's really smart. And so I tend to give more weight to what he says. But generally speaking, Aaron, there is no answer to that. The headlines are always going to be confusing. No question about it. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like indexing so much and doing index products, uh, because uh, it's really more about like if you have a plan to avoid panicking and selling when the market is in a down cycle, uh, then you're going to the chances are you're going to recover and you're going to be fine. Um, so, so that's one of the reasons why I like the indexing is because you don't have to worry so much about like what these big headlines are. It kind of allows you to ignore the noise. There you go. And th this is called systematic investing, um, dollar cost averaging, putting in fixed amounts of money into something that fluctuates in value. As long as it ultimately goes up in value is, is an actual system that really, really works. So putting in money at, at, you know, over time, especially fixed amounts. Uh, is a great way to do that and also a great way to keep yourself from staring at the ceiling at night when you're trying to go to sleep because you have too much money in the market because when <laughs> when you're putting in money every month a decline's really not all that bad is it because now you're going to be able to buy more shares for the same money so it's, it's a great way to invest and a great way to reduce your risk as long as and that actually leads me to one of my last things i have to say which is patience um, your success as an investor is inversely related to your time horizon I cannot tell you what the stock market is going to do today. I have no idea. And no one else does either. But I can tell you that 10 years from now, the odds are really good that it's going to be higher than it is now. So the, the longer you have, to, if, if you really want to be a trader, good luck to you. Go to Vegas, where at least you get free drinks. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how to make money overnight. But I can tell you how to, I've made lots of money over the long term. So be, be patient. And stay in a stock until your thesis is no longer true. If the world's going to green energy, stick with that thesis. If you believe that that is still true, you stick with that thesis. If the market falls in half, then you buy more. Be committed. Understand your thesis and stick with it. And when that thesis is no longer true, don't be married to something that no longer works. Get out. <laughs>
and and there there you go. That's that's basically all I have to say about investing and in, uh, picking winning stocks. And not that I'm the best stock picker in the world, but I've made I've made a lot of money in the stock market over the over the decades, over the decades, not over the months. And I think that's a really important thing. Like when we're talking about investing, we are talking about something that is long term. It's not overnight. Uh, you know, we're you know we're not talking about speculation, and we're not talking about gambling. Uh, investing is a long term proposition, <laughs> and I think that's something that's very important to keep uh, keep in mind because so often we think of investing as something that's um, you know people talk about investing in a way that it's like a get rich quick situation or you make money quickly. But the reality, because you have these big flashy headlines or these big flashy stories about somebody who got lucky, but the reality of the situation is that for most people, like real investing is a long term commitment. And you need to be prepared for that. Absolutely. Right. I got one last question. Yeah. So you know how you say, you know, how much you, should you invest in stocks? And you should say, Oh, well, you subtract your age from 100, or however number, number you ever want to go by. So once you do that, and you've got that that number of, okay, I'm going to use this to uh, invest in stocks out of that percentage, how much of that do you think you should keep on the side so that you can reinvest during the downturns when there's a 5% downturn, 10% downturn, 20% downturn? So you say, okay, I've got this on the side, ready to go to buy into the companies that I like. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, technically, and correct me if you disagree, Miranda, but technically, you should, if, you're, if, if you subtract your age from 100, if that's the ratio you use to decide how much to put in stocks, you subtract your age from 100, you're 60, you put in 40% in stocks. Theoretically, you're supposed to keep that 40% in stocks all the time. Uh, that's, yeah. Do you agree, Miranda? Yeah. So one of the things that I do uh, with my own personal portfolio is, so I have um, I have a small amount of money that like, like I set aside, um, you know, it, it's it's every month, right? We've talked about this at dollar cost average. I've got, okay, this is what's going into my tax advantage retirement account. This is what's going into my health savings account. And this is what's going into my taxable investment account that I use for travel, long-term emergency, like, you know, that kind of stuff. But I also set aside a small amount of cash that I call like, cash to invest, right? And I started doing this not too long ago where I set aside cash to invest. And it's something that I can use uh, to do experiments with or that I can have set aside so that over time it builds up so that if there is a big stock market crash, I can deploy that cash to buy extra. So I keep my plan. So I keep my dollar cost averaging plan. That is consistent. That doesn't change regardless of what's going on in the market, whether it's up, whether it's down. I'm putting the same amount of money in um, these major goals every single month. Uh, but I do have, you know, like I said, I have started diverting cash to invest aside so that I can start building up a store of cash so that when I – so that when – there is a big opportunity um, and there is money to be made, I can immediately deploy that uh, into something uh, that would be a big market crash. In the meantime, I just do these little experiments on the side, take a little bit. So I think it really depends on your comfort level and what your goals are. And are you already meeting your goals with your regular investment plan? And then what do you do on top of that once you're meeting those goals? How can you um, make the most of your money or prepare or position yourself for opportunities later. Yes. And, and remember too, Aaron, I, I was thinking about this when Miranda was talking too, but you said you, you've got your, this ratio, 40% in the stock market, for example, let's say, taking your age from 100, you're 60, you have 40% in the stock market. Well, the stock market's going up a whole bunch, which it has, right? Then what you, you're going to have to rebalance that every year because all of a sudden now you're going to have 60% in the stock market because the stocks have gone up. 
So you're going to sell part of that and put that over into your cash part, right? To keep it at 40. So you're actually yeah, going to, so you're automatically going to be generating cash to put back into the market if, if it falls. See what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And I know we're, we're running way low, low on time. Aaron's giving me signals over here. So let's do the question <laughs> really quick. Um, and this is going to be for you, Miranda. We got our viewer, our reader question, or it's either reader or listener, either one. Um, here it is. This is, comes from James. James says, I am the grandfather to two young ladies and the great-grandfather to a bright young man. I am a strong believer in each of them having an emergency fund. What I'm wondering is, is there any agreement as to what this amount should be, either in dollars or in percentage? So this is this is kind of an interesting one because uh, the basic rule of thumb is actually to do it in terms of your um, your your expenses. So they the general rule of thumb that many financial experts say is between three and six months worth of expenses. So not your you know other people say it well based it on your income put in like try and save up to three to six months worth of your income. But a lot of people look at it in terms of expenses. So let's say like that includes like okay well if I if I lose my job or if something else happens then I would want money in my account to be able to pay the rent, pay the insurance, um, you know, meet my debt obligations, uh, buy groceries, all of that kind of stuff um, for three to six months. So if you look at you, if you break down your, if you're, you're breaking down your expenses and saying, okay, I spend $3,500 a month, well, then you would want a, you would want an emergency fund that is between um, 10500 Yep. And $21,000. So it really kind of depends on where you're at in your comfort level with everything. Um, some are saying after this pandemic experience, some are saying three to six months is no longer practical. You need to have like six to nine months or even six to 12 months. And so it really depends on how comfortable you are. I personally have what I call a tiered approach to my emergency savings um, in which I say, okay, I have about three to four weeks worth of um, work worth of expenses in a very liquid savings account that I can access immediately if I need to. And then um, the rest of it is just sort of in this big taxable investment account uh, that I use for travel and other things. Um, and it's just they're growing. And it's one of those things that I can access on a longer basis because it takes it usually takes some time to like get that money moved over. So it really kind of depends on your approach and what you're comfortable with. I'm comfortable with a little more risk. I'm also comfortable with the idea of, oh, if I have to sell something at a loss, well, then my emergency just became a tax deduction. Um, so I'll sell my sell my stocks, like some of my losers at a loss, and it just became a tax deduction. So a lot of people are not comfortable with that. But the general, um, the general advice is say at least three to six months of your expenses in a high yield, highly liquid savings account that you can access quickly and that you can use to manage your expenses expenses in um, in the event of an emergency. High yield? That's that's kind of a uh, that's, uh, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Point, yeah, point <laughs> taken though. And you know, and actually, I'm glad that James asked that question today because it's appropriate. Because when are we investing in these stocks? After we get an emergency fund, that's when. We're not we're not investing in the stock market if we might have to sell because we're going to lose our job. We need to have we need to have money on the side so we're not forced to sell when the market's down. So we need to have this emergency yeah. fund before we start fooling around in the stock market. 
I'm afraid we're out of time, guys. We are never out of topic, though, and I really want you to dig deeper on this. You're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes, as well as a link to all the stocks I own. Take a look at them. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, and retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is Miranda Marquette, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T.com. If you've got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest, tell us about it. Email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one last thing, if you appreciate what we do, do something for us. Subscribe to this podcast. Takes you two seconds, really helps us out. So if you like us, show us and subscribe and also tell your friends. I'm Stacy Johnson. And I'm Miranda Marquette. I'm sitting here picking winners. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. We're going to see you right here next time.